welcome back to Money Talks. I am your host, Nick Antonucci, joined by Jared McKenzie and Casey Smith. Shifting gears here, guys, as we do every week, kind of want to talk a financial topic, um, case study, if you will. And we were just talking a financial topic. Oh, yeah, you're right. Marijuana. <laughs> I mean, His earning, earning a lot of money. Um, but the... the the topic this week is really the 10-year rule, um, and if you are a client or if you listen to the radio show, for any extended amount of time, you're probably familiar with it. You guys being the financial planners in the room, I'll let you kind of take the lead here, dig in, and explain what exactly the 10-year rule is for those who don't already know. Yeah, I mean, so in essence, it's a pretty simple strategy. You know, it's it's uh, the 10-year rule says if you expect to have any needs from your portfolio – whether that be taxable accounts, IRAs, what have you, if you expect to need to spend any of that money or, or distribute that money out of those accounts over the next 10 years, then that portion should be invested in fixed income investments so that it's not subject to the volatility of the market, the stock market. Right. Um, the rest of the money that you don't need in the next 10 years should be invested in the stock market because that's where we believe you're going to get the, the best returns over a long period of time, like 10 years or greater. Yeah, and, and I like to think back just to, to the financial crisis, right, 2007, 2008. Had you had all of your money invested in equities, and <coughs> excuse me, um, you're pulling that money to live off of, right? Had you been mm-hmm. following the 10-year rule, any money you needed in the next 10 years would have been in fixed income assets. If you weren't following the 10-year rule, you would be selling out of equities at the – you'd be forced to sell out of equities right. at the bottom of the market yep. when the asset levels are depressed, when really you want to be buying. You want right. to be buying at those depressed levels. Whoa. If you're following the 10-year rule, you have right. that money in fixed income assets, high-quality fixed income assets, so mm-hmm. you wouldn't have seen quite – anywhere near the level of drawdown you saw in equity prices. Exactly. And you'd be able to just – as that, that money, those bonds mature, you're getting face value. Yeah, and you're able to live off that's that, your money and, that you're and living you let that those equity returns the thing, pick back up and, and grow back to where they were before the, the financial crisis, much higher now. The yeah. thing that it does more than anything else, in my opinion, is it, it gives people peace of mind to know that you don't have to sell. Yes, the market's down 50% during that time. I mean, it was. 52% was yeah. the S&P. Uh, you would not have had to sell. Now, you may have wanted to sell. You may have been fearful, as a lot of people were, and a lot of people did make the mistake of selling into that down market mm-hmm. or at near at or near the bottom. If you would have had the money set aside in fixed income, you would have uh, been able to ride it out and feel confident that, okay, well, it's only been two years, three years, market's down, but I've still got seven years or eight years worth of money that's sitting there that it will provide for my spending needs, so I don't have to worry about the market. Yeah, Nick Nick said the key word, and that is forced. You know, I mean, well, that's what it really comes down to is not being forced to sell because you don't have any other cards to play, so to speak. You mm-hmm. know, if all you've got is equities and everything is in growth, then if you're pulling from your portfolio and you need that money, then you're not going to have a choice. But having some of that set aside into fixed income and getting the optimal yield or return on that that you can really then allows you to match that expected liquidity need, as you were saying, Casey, with the maturity of, of that fixed income security. And, and that really helps to plan for that liquidity so that regardless of what the stock market is doing, 
you're going to have the money that you need in order to provide for spending. So, yeah, like you said, it may be it may be concerning that the market's down, but not to the extent that you are about to be forced to sell into that down market and make matters worse. Sure. The next point, you can you can wait around on it to come back. Yeah, it's a behavioral thing too. I mean, it gives us a safety blanket, and having that feels good. I mean, it feels nice yeah. to know that you've got ten years worth of money to sit inside. Granted, exactly. you're, it's invested in bonds, right? It's not something that is going to be super exciting. Yeah. You're not going to run tell all your friends at the country club about <laughs> how much money you're making in CDs. Yeah, yeah but you look back during that top of the market, 10-9 of 07 to March 9th of 09, yeah. mm-hmm. when equity prices got cut in half, yep. bonds were up 6% yeah. on an annualized basis. The Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, I think, was around 6%. Well, yeah. and that's what people need to understand these days, which is, I think, why we're coming back to this topic as we do every now and then, because especially at times like this when markets are at their heights, it's a really good time to actually cover for some of this liquidity and, and pick up that 10 years worth so that you, you've got a full bucket, so to speak, when, when it comes to the fixed income portion. And, you know, you, you don't have to worry when we do go into the next downturn, whenever that may be, that you are going to be forced to sell equities. This is a, a great time to start thinking about selling some of uh, the positions that you've got large gains in, taking some of that off the table. Yeah, we just talked about Apple, how it ran yeah. up 85% yeah. last year. So more if you own Apple in your portfolio, and we do, it's a recommended position that we have. So it's a great time to, to trim, trim some of that back. Rebalance your portfolio. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not sitting here saying we don't expect Apple t- to perform well. Yeah. We're saying the stock was up 80% last year. Right. Rebalance your portfolio. If the recommended weight's two and a half percent and it's outgrown to be four percent now, mm-hmm. let's get it back down to that recommended weight. Take some profits. Yeah. And as you said, as you're kind of readjusting your portfolio, taking some away from growth, putting in fixed, filling those buckets to make sure that you do have ten years of liquidity, there's a lot to consider. You know, mm-hmm. taxes. Taxes mm-hmm. is one implication. If it's in a taxable oh, account, yeah. that is, might not be. Yep. Um, and then beyond that, you want to look at valuation on, on the individual positions, cyclicality. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you right now, if, if you're looking at me saying I have Apple and Southern company and I need to trim one to, to fill that fixed income bucket, I'm going to trim Apple. It's a lot more cyclical or an industrial than right. Southern company, utility company. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you mentioned the taxes and that is usually the biggest pain point for our clients to try to get, convince them to either trim some back or to wholesale, remove a position that is no longer recommended because, well, I don't want to pay the tax. And I get that. No, don't get me wrong. Well, especially when you're telling the them you're going to buy something that earns them 3 or 4% tops. Well, true. Yeah. Right. I mean, if it's going to be put into fixed income, but even if you're just rebalancing the portfolio to move it into more equities, you have to look at it. And I, you know, I always say, I wish that custodians would report the after-tax value of these accounts so that you don't even think about what the true, you know, the gross value is because that's not what you're going to realize right. from these investments. But I mean, at the end of the day, if I bought something for a dollar and it's now worth two dollars, I'm okay to pay 15 cents on that dollar that I made. You mm-hmm. know, I I think of it as you can either pay the tax now. Nobody likes paying the tax man, right? And realizing the gains, but. Your alternative is continue to hold it, hold it, hold it, let it appreciate. If you pass away or something and, and your beneficiary gets to step up and base something like that. But or the alternative is, well, what if the stock gets cut in half now and you just gave away all your gains? Yeah. What was the purpose? Well, it doesn't even take that much. It doesn't take, you know, the, it, we do this exercise with people sometimes. It's, you know, think about if you have a stock that's worth $10 um, and you bought it for a dollar, you know, it's run up nine $9 a share. Well, you just have to pay 15, 15% of that $9 gain. Mm-hmm. So the stock only has to fall by, what, 
couple it's of just bucks. a few percentage points. Yes. It, yeah. It's not even 15%. It's, it's, it's less than that. So yeah. if you're giving that money back by holding it, if it, if it goes down, so it's better to pay pay the tax, reposition yourself so that it's more safe. You have uh, some level of, of comfort there and, and you're positioned to ride out any kind of downturn that we might yeah. run into. Well, think about it. If it fell 10%, you'd be really worried. And then you'd probably be starting to think about wanting to sell it. And then and you're looking at it and saying, you got a huge gain yeah. still left. Yeah. So don't you don't want to hesitate, especially in a market like this where things are so volatile and, and you know, don't close the to the edge. Don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. There you go. That's right, as we always say around here. Well, you know, there's a few more things I think are worth mentioning on this topic. So kind of wrapping up more or less about the 10-year rule, um, you know, ensuring that you have 10 years worth of liquidity in fixed income assets, high quality fixed income assets. Yep. Here we're buying high quality municipal bonds when it makes sense um, or um, tradable CDs, things like that. Um, but if 10 year, if you feel like 10 years of liquidity needs is too much for you and, and you can settle for a few years less, a lot of times we have our modified 10 year rule, it might be an eight year rule, seven year rule, something like that. The concept is exactly the same. You're just shortening how many years of liquidity that you yeah, have? That's a risk mm-hmm. tolerance quest conversation. Sure. You know, how much risk do you want to take? I mean, the, the reason the 10-year rule exists is because there's only been two rolling 10-year periods since 1926 when the market hasn't made a full recovery from, you know, bottom to top. Exactly um, right. And so in, in those two periods, it was essentially flat. I mean, you would have lost a little bit. Um, but for the most part, you can be reasonably comfortable knowing that the market should, based on historical data, make a make a recovery from any kind of downturn. You know that includes the Great Depression, that includes mm-hmm. previous recessions. Yeah, in theory, it would have navigated you through the 30s. I mean, if you think about it, it yeah, exactly. suffice to that. So I mean that knowing that the 10 years and and I believe if I'm not incorrect about this, Nick, but the 11 years would actually take you all the way through. Since 1926, there's never been an, uh, an 11-year period when the market didn't fully recover. Um, and so our 10-year rule really is like an 11-year rule, if you think about it, because right now we're covering through 2030, and we're in you know the beginning of 2020, right. so that's pretty much 11 years. Yep. Um, and so if you're comfortable with taking on a little bit more risk, you can you know modify that to the next point, and you can step it down to... You know, eight years. We have in the past done something where we've we've kind of left eight years in pure fixed income. Those, you know, more or less uh, the FDIC insured CDs and you know, very low risk fixed income investments for eight years, and then take the last two years off that ten years and invest in you know high dividend paying stocks. I will say, you know, we do that, and I think I think the the investment landscape has changed with dividend payers given the interest rate environment. So I think now is not comparable to 2007, 2008, 2009. Right. But those stocks actually, if you look at the Dow Jones Select Dividend Index, mm-hmm. did just as bad, if yeah. not worse, than the S&P well, 500. Well, think about what they're made but up of, banks. Exactly. I was going to say that was the difference. You yeah. had probably 30-plus percentage in that index of financials, which obviously got absolutely destroyed. That's not the case now. Right. Financials are probably 15%, 20% or less, um, and much more utilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, I still think even in, a, in a, a downturn, those stocks now hold up better just because where do you go to treasuries where you can't get near the yield? I think it, it, they will uh, be a lot more defensive than they were Well, in the, the dividend stocks that we're buying are, are going to be generally very well covered, meaning that the earnings from operations more than covers – 
That's the right. dividend. So the likelihood that they're going to have to go borrow to pay the dividend or cut the dividend is lower than, say, a broad index like the Dow Jones Select Dividend Index. Um, so, the, and, you know, not to say that you can't buy that index and be protected and still have the dividend income and things like that, but the way that we do it for our clients inside of our equity income portfolio is a little bit of a, uh, it, it's, in my opinion, a safer way because you're you're carving out some of that quality from that index. Sure. Yeah, agreed. Um, well, all of that being said, I mean, you, you might, after we have that same conversation with clients, it, it comes down to, okay, well, yeah, I do need to raise some if I want to go out 10 years because I'm nowhere near that now. So where do we do that? I've got six or seven accounts. And, you know, while that can be very circumstantial depending on the client themselves, generally speaking, we're going to look to the taxable accounts first, assuming you haven't reached, you know, 72 now, yeah. uh, which is the, the point in which you've got to start taking required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts. But we would we would prefer that clients take from their taxable assets first so that the, the tax-deferred accounts like the IRAs and 401s and whatnot, uh, as well as the tax-exempt accounts such as the Roths, can continue to grow in that manner for as long as possible. After all, that's why you, you contribute to them in the first place, right? So the longer that they can get to do that, the, the more growth they should theoretically see. And so up until the point that you start taking required minimum distributions, we would want you know the, the majority, if not all, of the liquidity needs to be covered in the taxable account. And then as you approach age 72, then we start covering uh, those minimum distributions or at least what they're expected to be. And, you know, at that point, maybe it's a combination of both. You've got some coverage in a retirement account and some coverage in a taxable account. It's good to have options. Yeah, absolutely. You need that flexibility. Well, and the other thing that we might look at, too, is if if it makes sense, if you're in a, a year or a period of time where your income is very low, maybe it does make sense to carve off some of the IRA money. Yep. to kind of fill up those lower level income brackets and then you know anything above and beyond that take from a taxable account so that you're kind of reducing your future mandatory withdrawals um, at the same time and being able to, to get the money you need. So it is very client specific. It depends on your situation. Um, but generally speaking, Jared's right. I mean, we want to let the tax deferred assets grow tax deferred for as long as we can and then um, you know spend your money that's the dividends and the interest and, and uh, capital gains are being taxed. Um, yep. So... That's kind of the general rule of thumb. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here, come back, and we'll uh, pick right back up on some listener questions. You listen to Money Talks, we'll be right back. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments, It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products. 